Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. This week, again, taking a look at the week's events <laughs> askew. <laughs> Joining me is John Bennett from CQ Roll Call, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and podcast uh, commentator extraordinaire. We're going to talk this week a little bit of post-coitus. How did the press cover the State of the Union? How did Biden do? And what was the Republicans' response? I'll laugh now. Uh, and is this a, a forerunner of what we're going to see on the campaign trail ahead? We'll also talk about uh, several objects, object, uh, ob objects shot down over the U.S. over the last week. And of course, we can't go too far anywhere these days, uh, as we have not been able to for the last seven years without having to talk about Donald Trump and his latest foibles, as well as what the Republicans are going to do coming up in the presidential race. So stick around. We got all that to unpack. Plus, uh, we'll let everybody revisit their predictions hours before the Super Bowl as to who they think is going to win. Stick around. It's just ask the question. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. And uh, let's start with uh, John and, and Michael. Welcome, guys. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Hope you're having fun. To you, too. Thank Thanks you. for having us again. Yeah. yeah. Rock and roll. So let's take a look. Well, let's, you know, post coitus. And we'll start with um, a couple of things I noticed during the uh, um, <clears throat> State of the Union address. And I think, John, you addressed it in your weekly column this week as well, is is uh, there was a point in time where if you wanted to call and the Republicans have repeatedly called um, President Biden <laughs> enfeebled or, or befuddled or uh, numerous, uh, numerous other things indicating that his, he has mental decline, but he certainly owned his hecklers Tuesday night, uh, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, and got everyone to agree, although it really hacked off the Republicans. Who said they that you know the president said he wouldn't negotiate, but he kind of negotiated um, cutting Social Security and Medicare right off the table, and he did it while goading them into a trap. Probably one of his finest moments of that night, John. Yeah, it was um, pretty surreal. It was <laughs> unplanned. This is why I don't bet on sports because I would have bet on you know your pretty traditional Joe Biden speech, call for unity. Uh, give his progressive base, you know, a few things. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, and then and then talk about, you know, debt ceiling and, and a couple other things that they might be able to get together on um, and get out of there, you know, 73 minutes, relatively short state of the union. Um, if I had bet on that, which I would have, I would have lost money. That's not <laughs> what we got. Uh, nope. Instead, he, uh, you know, he, he, I think the Republican outrage over over what biden was saying as he led into that section about social security and medicare is is a little inaccurate and i but i do think biden um he definitely insinuated that he kept saying it was a small number of republicans but then he would say uh republicans want to cut those programs or terminate them so i think there was some to borrow a, a term from the president there was some hyperbole involved kevin mccarthy had already said that Social Security and Medicare were off the table. I suspect the president kept that line in the speech um, 
as a way to to get all the other Republicans on the record on live television. And boy, did he. And they fell he right into them it. into right. it. Yeah. And 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 whether scripted or not, uh, the president uh, was either very strategic or fast on his feet or maybe a little bit of both. That's what I think. And, you know, he got them to agree with a standing ovation that Medicare and Social Security are off the table, at least this time in, in the debt ceiling talks and the spending talks. But um, I, I am noticing more and more, including uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer this morning uh, was on one of the shows. And the Democrats and, and, and Biden hasn't gone this far yet, but other Democrats are, are saying, OK, sh Republicans, show us your cuts. So I think there is starting to be the, the, a public uh, acknowledgement from the Democratic side that Republicans are going to secure some cuts here and they do need the votes. The Democrats need the votes to raise the debt ceiling and also later on avoid a government shutdown. So I think we're heading into a world where something gets cut. But no, if, it, if anyone tells you what it's going to be right now, they are lying because there's no real, there's no agreement on the Republican side on what you know, 102 things uh, to cut. So there's a long way to go here. Michael, what was your biggest surprise, your takeaway from the State of the Union? I think that um, everything John said is 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 correct, as always. Uh, well, and I, he is I, President I, Bennett. We're going to He is. Um, we're going to elect him. I don't know about that, guys. <laughs> I, I, I guess my biggest surprise is sort of how well he performed um, sort of theatrically. You know, he's he's not really a very emotive speaker and he doesn't, doesn't tend to rouse the, you know, emotions of the crowd as, as Donald yeah. Trump said famously, do you believe I lost to this guy? And... Um, <laughs> And and so there there you know there is that um, so I think that he sort of rose to the the theatrical moment of it as you know as to the substance it's more or less as we predicted last week he's going to tout his economic you know successes and ask for bipartisanship and and the like and whether any of that stuff will uh, amount to anything practically remains to be seen but I guess I was struck by the theater of it, which is often, you know, the medium is the message uh, um, sort of thing. And I think in that sense, he did uh, what I guess his handlers hoped he would achieve. Yeah, um, I think, and I, I said this this week, I think it was the opening salvo. And I think there's no doubt that uh, the presidential race for 2024 has now begun and that he's firmly in it. And he said several times, you know, he talked about we have to finish the job. Well, I I don't think you do that unless you're running for a second term. <laughs> I mean, he still hasn't said that, but he hasn't announced. But I I think that that speech is a stump speech for the you know, and he took it on the road this week in several places and um, seeing how, you know, like he took it out and kicked the tires and see how how it played uh, I, I want to switch a little bit to the Republican response. There was uh, <clears throat> Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who John and I are both very familiar with, was was tasked with <laughs> Republican response, and she said today that there's a it's you know it's so divisive it's between reality and crazy. You know, and I I'm going to say she's right and she's absolutely crazy. I thought it was just a very tepid response that speaks to how out of touch many mainstream politicians are, including, you know, mostly Republicans. But um, do you think that there's, uh, and I'll, I'll put this question to both of you, the response, what did you think of the response? And do you think that Joe's uh, Biden speech was a campaign speech? Michael, I'll give you the first shot at those two. So last week, you guys said that they're putting Huckabee Sanders forward to be the youthful new potential presidential um, yes, aspirant. And if that was that, that show, I think, is closing in Peoria. <laughs> you know, she did say it was time for new leadership. She did say that in her speech. Mm -hmm. 
I so, understand that, but you guys were touting her as part of the new leadership, and I guess what I guess she was. <laughs> well, I understand, but I understand, but you were too last week. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is, I, I mean, I, I wasn't so cheering much, it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand that. I understand that. But I think you know, I I think so much of politics is is theater. You know how yeah. how well you connect and how you look and act and the like. I just think in respect of that, um, Huckabee Sanders fell flat and it, whatever she had to say substantively, I think for me was lost in the, in, I was watching the performance and um, I was hoping that the understudy was called out because <laughs> this, this wasn't working for me. <laughs> John, not <laughs> bad brother. <laughs> I don't think I'll try. Uh, I'll start with the president. Uh, yes, it was a campaign speech. Uh, the White House can say all that uh, that they would like, that it was not a campaign speech. That was a preview of whatever we hear in Philadelphia or, or wherever he goes to announce his reelection bid, whenever he goes. I don't think there's any need for, uh, for, for President Biden to be in a hurry uh, to announce his uh, to announce his campaign, I think he's got a little more time, and he says he's not ready yet. He will be 82, um, you know, when he when he would be sworn in again. Chris Christie was on uh, ABC this morning, and he's making good points. And just look at the the actuary charts, uh, the the lifespan charts, and you know he was he was trying to raise. He got interrupted by a reporter, annoying reporters, but um, he was trying to make the point. That would would Biden scientifically be expected to finish his second term? And he was trying to put the spotlight on Kamala Harris, the vice president, who would take over. So, I, I speaking of vice presidents, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' name this week was uh, in several reports mentioned as a potential running mate for Donald Trump, her former boss. Um, There's and a I cartoon just, waiting to happen. <laughs> and, I, I hear everything that Michael said, and I, I, I think he's he's onto something. But I'll just throw this out there: um, she may be talking to a slice of the country and a slice of very conservative MAGA Republicans. But that's where the that's where the energy is in the party. That's where the money is in the party. So I still can't rule her out down the road because she speaks to kind of the DeSantis uh, people, yeah. and you know if. You know, Ron DeSantis, right? Well, a lot of people say that Ron DeSantis may run in the next two cycles, uh, but let's say for whatever reason he runs this time and loses, and then doesn't run in twenty eight. You know, that money and that energy has to go somewhere. And I know it sounds far fetched, and we talked about it last week, but I just I can't laugh it off. I'm not going to laugh anything off after twenty sixteen. No, you can't. But the but, idea of but, Sarah Huckabee Sanders I know, but running one yeah. of the most powerful and, offices in the country is so your, darkly comedic yeah. as to be to, tragic. Yeah. And to your point, though, to, to both of your points, um, it may make her popular within the movement and within the party. But, you know, parts of wokeism bother me, but I'm focused on why the hell band-aids yesterday at, at giant cost ten dollars that's what people are and that's not wokeism that's pushing the price of band-aids to ten dollars that's what people vote on they're, they're I, most people aren't going to vote because right. for sarah sanders they or, vote or on their pocketbook right they're going to vote their pocketbook gas prices uh the cost of their family vacation um everything why they can't order anything because of you know these supply chain issues that aren't going away so it's just i think it's just foolish when you look ahead to general elections at, you know, at the, at the Congress level and, and uh, presidential too. Right. But let me just add one thing to that, which is something that we've talked about before. Biden in, in, in his speech really is um, becoming, you know, or remaining sort of a a popularist, you know, that Mm -hmm. he's got to bring manufacturing base back and he's got to protect the middle class and I think that his economic popularism, if he started addressing the, the what in my mind is the real cost of inflated pricing, which is um, corporate greed and um, price gouging, 
I think that he could be onto something to say to the middle class, you guys are suffering these expensive band-aids and eggs and gasoline, not because of my economic policies, but because of corporate greed. And I am going to increase the budget of the antitrust division at the Justice Department to look into these things. And I am going to um, address uh, corporate greed um, in an aggressive way so that they can't get away with it. I mean, I think he can, I'm not saying it in, in as good a way as a speechwriter would say, but I think he, he, I think he has the potential to tie in his uh, economic popularism with corporate greed, sort of the um, Robert Reich, um, Bernie Sanders analysis of why things cost so much. And I think he has there in an effective campaign message to address these problems. I only hope that when he addresses those problems of and, and becomes the new Teddy Roosevelt and starts trust busting, hey, that guy was a Republican, folks. Remember when the Republicans used to be progressive? Not nah, long time ago. Anyway, but at, at the end of the day, if he addresses the problems in the media that are caused by corporate greed and busts the, the uh, you know, uses antitrust legislation on the largest media companies, by God, he'll be on to something. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, it's Missile Command, folks. It's another day in the skies across the country. Stick around. We'll be right back. Coming back in three, two, one. <clears throat> It's a bird. It's a plane. It's I. We don't know what it is, but we shot it down three times now over the U.S. There, we do know the first one was a rather large, two thousand pound, two hundred tall balloon that was shot down as it crossed over South Carolina last week. In and it came from China, and it was shot down within our territorial waters. China has made all kinds of excuses about what was flying over our airspace since then. And at the uh, uh, the Republicans first were critical of the president for waiting too long to shoot things down. And now after shooting uh, a third something down, uh, the Republicans now say that Biden is trigger happy. So the guy can't win for losing as far as criticism on the issue. But the question has to be, um, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and when I talk to... John Kirby and others, uh, John Kirby from the NSC and uh, others this week in um, in security and, and the Department of Defense. Um, in the last year and a half, we've gained a lot more intelligence on how to look at high altitude balloons. Um, Kirby said, well, he'll get back to us when they figure out more of what they've got. At the end of the mm. week, when they did get back to us, they said it was obviously a listening post, a floating listening post. The question, I guess, now is not only what the hell's going on, but uh, Michael, how do you think this plays with the American public going into the presidential race? Or do you think that it's going to be political? Is this one thing that won't be political, but will be a bipartisan effort? I think it should be a bipartisan effort if, in fact, this is some you know attack on American sovereignty. Uh, you know, spy balloons, if that's what they are, over our territory, it should be um, bipartisan. But even if it remains not, as you point out, Brian, either you shoot it down too quickly, you shoot it down too slow, is the Republican response to this thing. I think that most people, if you mm -hmm. are told there is a spy balloon over our country and the president of the United States scrambles a uh, an F whatever it is, 15 fighter jet and shoots it down. I think they're going to say, you know, you go girl sort of thing <laughs> that, 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 that I think that resonates with people that this is the guy who's taking um, charge of this thing, especially when apparently these things were floating during the presidency of Donald Trump as well. And they weren't shot down. So I think, I mean, I don't know what these things are, but I think that that if they are portrayed as an attack on our country in some way and we took action to kill that attack, I think that probably resonates. 
Yeah, John, you, Michael mentioned something, you know, he doesn't know, we don't know, none of us know, do you think the, the government has been transparent enough in what's going on, or do you think they still don't know what the hell they got? I suspect they don't know what the hell they've got. They they want to retrieve the first uh, platform um, and, and you know, crack it open and, and see if, what intelligence they can glean about what the Chinese were really up to. Uh, the capabilities of of the platform itself, its cameras, its sensors, its ability to transmit uh, back to China. So I, you know, uh, more transparency is always good. Uh, but you know, when this thing gets in the hands or these things get in the hands of the intelligence community, we're not going to hear very much. That's their business. Um, so, but more transparency once they have a handle, if they can get a handle on what's going on. I think that's definitely a plus. The public does have a right to know uh, what this is all about to the extent that the intelligence community and the president and the military uh, can still do their jobs, keep things classified, and and take the steps they need to keep everybody safe because that's the bottom line. But I will say this notion of the trigger-happy line was from House Intelligence uh, Chairman Mike Turner this morning, yeah. and he did not use it as a pejorative. He used it as, you know, well, now Biden's trigger happy, kind of, you know, hey, you know, kind of. But then he said, I would rather the president be trigger happy than to averse like with the first balloon. So now this 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 could go really poorly because trigger happy, the, the more triggers you're pulling, the more chance for miscalculation and mistakes. Yes. And you're the you're the pilot, Brian, not me, but. What if the transponder on the Cessna, when a grandfather's flying his son around on a Saturday afternoon, the transponder uh, malfunctions, and let's say the radio's a little not maybe a little janky, a little old, doesn't work great, and uh, the F twenty two pilot doesn't quite see it correctly, doesn't understand what's going on, and and what happens when? When when we start shooting down Cessnas, are, are we going to start shooting sidewinder million dollar sidewinder <laughs> vessels at clouds? I mean, I mean, at a certain point, you know, you can't be trigger happy when you're flying over the friendly skies, or or you're helping out Justin Trudeau up in Canada. You just can't shoot everything down. There's a lot of stuff up there. So once again, we need an adult in the room, and maybe that's Joe Biden. Lloyd Austin has, I think, been a really good defense secretary. Um, so hopefully those guys stay steady at the stick here and and it's not a true trigger happy situation because that yeah. that could get really bad really quick. And and complimenting him on being trigger happy isn't the best either, because as you said, trigger happy and, and you know, it, there's an assumption there. I could tell you in, as a pilot, and I do know this much, it would it, for the F-22 pilot to be able to fire. There has to be not only um, instrumental, but visual confirmation of the target before they'll right. allow that firing to occur nonetheless if you are trigger happy you can make a mistake and not visually you know uh, confirm or maybe not even uh confirm instrumentally so that's caution is always i think in those situations and i'm not the dod guy but i i, I know in speaking with them there is always this caution it's it's like in the hunt for red october when he goes right can i fire well i can't fire and that was the absolute truth i cannot fire on a russian sub unless they fire at me so those were actual rules of engagement there are rules of engagement that they follow in sure. response to the second or third one i guess it was that was over uh well we you know justin trudeau said yeah yeah go ahead shoot it down for us would you we'll take a look and now the fbi is going to help him out and it was shot down over the tundra uh in, in you know a vastly underpopulated area of canada without any uh real damage this third one apparently was cylindrical in size it was at forty thousand feet uh it that would put it firmly in the uh civilian airways of uh of um you know uh flights for you know uh public flights like from Delta or whatever. And so that kind of stuff would be shot down, but we don't know. Now, the real problem is the speculation, the idle speculation as to what it is that we shot down and the QAnon supporters will use this for whatever they want to justify anything from, you know, 
lizard aliens landing on the planet to, you know, uh, uh, this is another example of Hillary's uh, slave trade in the back of a pizza place. Uh, it it doesn't really make any sense. So they'll, but they'll latch on to it. I, I guess as far as the press goes, I, I hope we follow our rules of vetting the facts before we announce what it is that it is and that we push for greater uh, transparency on the issue as we go forward, because this is, you know, I, I read an article this morning about are we backing ourselves into with closed eyes into World War III with everything that's going on with China and Russia and Ukraine? Are we are we now advancing to a point of no return without even realizing we're doing it? And that's my concern in, in all of it. So sure. that's that's where I went. Now, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Michael, you can lead off this discussion on the Trump campaign who paid to prove the fraud in the election in 2020, but they hid the results of their own investigation. You can't make this shit up. Stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. Now, the uh, Washington Post had a, an article in their politics column this week about the Trump campaign paying to prove the 2020 fraud occurred in the general election, but then hid the results of of their uh, wonderful investigation. Gee, Michael, wonder why? Well, because it said there was no fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election. <laughs> On to the next round. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess the, the point of it, um, as I read the story from a legal analysis is they commissioned a study to determine whether or not there was provable fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election. This is the Trump um, campaign. And this independent body paid by the Trump campaign to give a report, gave a report, and it said, no, there was no fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election. This was before January 6th. So before January 6th, the president's own research validated the election of Joe Biden, and yet... And the president knew of it. I would assume he did. Um, they commissioned it. Yeah. Um, once, yeah, once again, missing from the story. It, it, he never he never has his fingerprints on this stuff. It's, it's amazing yeah, how yeah. he operates. Right, but I think at some point you have to assume knowledge or yeah. argue so in in let me just finish the story and then i'll go right to yeah. that, that point john it's a good point so they give him the results they give the campaign the results of the study it says no fraud that would have changed the outcome before january 6th and yet on january 6th they have the you know stop the steal uh, rally where he's still railing about how fraud denied him the presidency. Uh, and so if you're a prosecutor and you're trying to prove knowledge that what you were doing was not a well-founded belief in something, a sincere belief in the truth of the proposition, I sincerely believe that the earth is flat, um, when shown a picture from the space capsule that it is round, it's hard to, you know, without proving mental capacity to sustain that point of view. So I think that that's telling in terms of what he had knowledge of and what his intent uh, was going forward with the with the lie after the 
commissioned report said otherwise. So John, to your point, his fingerprints are maybe missing from the report, but I think you can impute knowledge to him when everyone working for him um, has that knowledge. I think you can impute it to him. Or in law, there's a concept called willful blindness or oh, yeah. reckless disregard. And so I think a prosecutor confronted with this where he says, I didn't know, would say you did know through concepts of willful blindness. That is, if you think of those three monkeys of hear and see and speak uh -huh. no evil, you can't do that and 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 prevail that you didn't have knowledge. You can't purposefully be ignorant uh, and avoid liability. So I think I think that he is either directly aware of this or has imputed knowledge of it. And the fact that it occurred before January 6th and that despite it, he still made the speech he did and did the actions that he took for a prosecutor is a gift. <laughs> yes. And so do you believe that it'll be useful in in the Mar-a-Lago case? Is that where you see it being used? No, more January 6th. More January think, 6th. Yeah, I think because if you say I have, there was no fraud, Mr. President, you lost. And then he goes afterwards uh, and then goes on to say, I lost. Uh, it was fraud. And I want you, my followers, to take action to, you know, to remedy this wrong. I think that that fits into this conspiracy to defraud the United States um, from the orderly transfer of power. I think that's where it fits in. And John, once again, you are correct. He'll try to keep his fingerprints off of anything except uh, Stormy Daniels. But um, <laughs> but nonetheless, and, and I mean that in the physical sense, um, but in, in, in that regard, do you think that this revelation coming out about um, the, the fraud will play poorly for Donald or will he be able to spin it? And how are we covering it? Well, I think he'll be able to spin it. Uh, I, I, I think he he'll spin it in his own way and, and his true believers will stick with him. Um, and he'll talk about this a lot. He'll talk about it as part of a witch hunt. Uh, they're just out to get him. They've always been out to get him. There's no there there. Um, I, the biggest problem for me right now for Trump is exactly that. He'll talk about this endlessly. He's not talking about how he's going to bring down prices at the grocery store. He's not talking about how he's going to bring down gasoline prices. He's not talking about um, how he's going to bring down the cost of health care. You know, Joe Biden and other Democrats, they are talking about that. I think Nikki Haley wants to talk about that. And she's going to announce her candidacy on Wednesday in New Hampshire. Uh, DeSantis talks more about that than Trump does. And, you know, Donald still pulls ahead of those folks, but they're talking about how to how to help people and families. And 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 he's just focused on 2020 and all these investigations. And, you know, I understand if I had this many people investigating me, I'd be pretty perturbed, too. Um, but I don't think it translates into a political campaign very well. I think that's his biggest problem uh, politically. Yeah, I think, well, to your point, just five, ten minutes ago, got an email, major announcement from, from Donald Trump. The radical Democrats have used ballot harvesting to cancel out your vote and walk away with elections they never should have won. So he's firmly mired in the past right. of 2020, right. and he's seeking money, ballot harvesting fund. Of course, you can also, if you contribute $100, you also get a hat. So there is that. And uh, if you contribute any more than that, I guess he's getting rid of his Donald Trump uh, Christmas ornaments, but sounds, any, sounds like a great deal, Brian. Yeah, sounds like a great that, that, and I think you can also get somewhere. There's the the MAGA hat, the Christmas ornaments. Ah, yes. Here's the other one. You, you can get a plate that says "Make America Great Again." So certainly something you want to have in your Chinaware collection for your Sunday best with your family. So he's asking for contributions on that entirely and if you take a look at the article i think one of the things that stands out to me is <clears throat> uh, was they said that trump received a record-breaking 74 million votes but they don't 
mentioned that Biden <laughs> had 81 million votes. So out of all the losers in history, he's the top loser. Donald Trump came in above all the other losers. And yeah. it's as if that merely the numbers alone speak for themselves. And and the people who did the investigation for Donald Trump said there was just simply no evidence that there was anything done wrong in the balloting. And that's in the article, and that's a quote. And, and so the facts are facts. And if you take a look at those facts, I think Michael's got a great point. And Michael, I'll let you speak to it any better that if you want. But the point is, is that his own, this own research at the end of the day is going to come back to bite him in his ass. If people believe it. <laughs> yeah. The truth of the matter is, I expect that now that it's been revealed that he undertook this research and that it didn't give him the result he wanted, he'll figure out a way to discredit his own research team and remind the MAGA folks that the election was still stolen. I mean, notwithstanding all of what has been reported about the election, all the different independent studies of the election, there is still a sizable number of Republicans who believe that the election was stolen. And, and 11 of 17 of them are chairmans of committees. 11 of the 17 committee chairs in Congress and the House are, are the heads of those committees are people who believe the big lie. So the fact that you got one more study reiterating the fact that the election was not stolen you know, I think he'll just sort of move on from it. Uh, but as I said earlier, from a legal standpoint, it may be additional evidence a prosecutor can use to prove knowledge and intent that what he was saying about the election was fraudulent and that his efforts to act on that thereafter, the fake electors and the like, is criminal. So as a former federal prosecutor, do you think that Merrick Garland will, and I we've asked this from time to time, do you think that he will end up charging Donald Trump? Or do you think this is all just simply he's going to get away with it all? I don't know, Brian. I don't know. Uh, these, it's been a long time. Yes, but these are complicated cases and you have to be clear uh, that agree. you can... You can prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and that that can be sustained on appeal. And I don't know all of what is known by the Justice Department. And I really don't think that the, the trope of Garland is too cautious. He was a judge. He was never, you know, really a prosecutor. I, 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 that falls on deaf ears for me. He was yep. actively involved in the prosecution of the Oklahoma City bombing uh, case. And I think he knows very well how to bring a prosecutable case that can be won at trial and sustained on appeal. So I don't accept that he's just dragging his feet because he's too cautious a guy. I think. Yeah, I agree I, with you. I, I, think, I think you get one shot at the top and you better take that shot and be very careful taking it, especially when it comes to Donald Trump, because John, to your point earlier, what you were saying is he's famous for keeping his fingerprints off of everything. So how in the hell you have to be very careful when you go after him. You, but John, what do you think? You think this leads to further uh, potential against Donald Trump or that his fingerprints are, are far enough removed that we won't see him ever charged for anything? Well, I, 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 to your point, you know, the old saying, if you come at the King, you best not miss. I think that applies here. Uh, and I, I still wonder uh, who goes first on a possible indictment of Trump? Uh, and I still suspect that it'll be the state of Georgia. After all, the president is on tape, the former president is on tape asking the secretary of state in Georgia to find him 11,000 votes and, you know, and, and some change there. Uh, so that's all he needed to, to win the state of Georgia. Just go find me 11,000, what, with 800 votes. Don't make them up. Vote. I don't care. So um, I don't know. I'm like Michael. I don't know if he'll be indicted. Uh, it does seem to me like like Georgia, at least the the overturning the election uh, issues and and potential charges. Uh, they have. We talked about this before. It seems like Georgia has the most uh, open and shut case 
Um, but some of the state investigations in, into his business and, 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 and things in, in New York state, you know, those have been fines so far. Um, so I don't, I don't know, but, but I, I'm still watching Georgia. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, <laughs> the other part of the Trump equation is Mar-a-Lago this week, uh, a lawyer for former president Donald Trump, uh, had to appear before a grand jury investigating his handling of government documents in Mar-a-Lago. This also occurs as Mike Pence's place was searched for documents. Uh, they, you know, they've probably found them in President Biden's, you know, Corvette by now. But uh, that's all of that aside. Michael, uh, the lawyer Evan uh, Corcoran was a member of uh, Trump's legal team who handled his responses. What is the significance of the fact that the man that was representing Donald was hauled before a federal grand jury to testify? about how president former president trump handled those classified documents it's an effort to gather information about knowledge and intent what was the purpose of his undertaking the strategy that he did which was apparently to obstruct the efforts to retain get the documents returned so in these cases you've got a sort of a process. The process one is, were the documents mishandled? And the answer here is yes, they were mishandled because they were taken out of classified skiff and removed to a place that didn't have the security, the secured facility. So then the second question is, were they removed intentionally or accidentally? And so someone like Corcoran may have knowledge about whether they were intentionally uh, removed or accidentally returned, removed. Then the question becomes, once they were removed, what became of them? Were they shared with anybody else? Were they copied? Were they, um, I guess, destroyed in, in some way? And one of the things that was revealing- or altered. Altered, yeah. One of the things that was revealing or disseminated, that was the word I was looking for, disseminated to a third party, one of the things that was interesting to me in the reporting this week was it was uh, reported that the Trump people voluntarily turned over some additional stuff that they found on their own uh, this past week or two. And one of the things that they turned over was somebody's laptop, another laptop. They, they turned over. <laughs> they found a lap Hunter's laptop. <laughs> Hunter's. They turned over a, a laptop. Because on the laptop, what they found was that the, the owner of the laptop, who works for the, um, the Trump PAC, um, copied some of the classified documents onto a thumb drive, and then they were apparently loaded onto the laptop. And so the laptop was turned over. Trump's team voluntarily turned it over. But to my analysis of were they mishandled, and if yes is the answer, which they were, what happened? Were they copied? Were they altered? Were they disseminated? So this might hit the question of was uh, classified documents disseminated yeah, they were. to a person without uh, proper classification who then copied them and put them on a Thumb drive. computer that was itself not secured. So something like that makes the um, case stronger for a prosecution for not the initial mishandling necessarily, because I think that'll be that, that those documents were largely taken by inadvertence. Maybe there were some that weren't the Korea, uh, North Korea love letters, so-called. Yeah. But in terms of the obstruction of the return and the possible dissemination of those classified documents, there's perhaps evidence of that. And Corcoran, to your question, is going to be questioned about what does he know about all that stuff? Yeah, and I it should be we should point out that Corcoran was in discussions with the Justice Department about these documents, and that he crafted the uh, original statement that in, in June I think it was that they had a diligent search for all the remaining classified documents, and they had turned over everything. So. Um, he drafted it. It was someone else, Christina Bob, who signed it, uh, another attorney, after she added language to make it less ironclad. But he was part, I mean, he was part of this 
the whole time. He wasn't a passive observer of what was going on. He was discussing with the Justice Department the entire time of the document scandal. John? The more people that appear before these grand juries, it, it just doesn't feel to me, and I'm not the legal expert here, that's Michael, uh, but that can't be good for Donald Trump. And like you said, this lawyer has firsthand knowledge. He wasn't, as you said, a passive observer. He was a participant. So, you know, the more people, and I've said this before here and, and written it, you know, the more, there are just so many potential charges that, that uh, sometimes it is hard for me to imagine Trump outrunning all of this, uh, but I don't know what the punishments are for for various things. Or, or I what still think the be. actuary table will get him before the, the Justice Department. But hey, I, I, Ronnie Jackson said he'd live to be two hundred, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a question actually for the legal expert in reading stories about this situation with the lawyer going in to testify. You know how. Where does where does a attorney client start and stop in one of these situations, Michael? So if it's a private attorney who represents Donald Trump as the as an individual, they have attorney client privilege. If it's a government attorney like Corcoran, there mm. is executive privilege uh, or communic communication privilege, and yeah. there is some limited government attorney client privilege. What the courts have ruled, there are a couple of cases, United States versus Nixon, in Ray sealed case, ESPY, which was the um, Agricultural Secretary ESPY case. And then perhaps most relevant is in Ray sealed case, Bruce Lindsay. Remember, Bruce Lindsay mm -hmm. was Deputy White House Counsel to Clinton. He was subpoenaed to come before the grand jury to talk about communications he had with the president related to stuff that the grand jury was interested in, in hearing. They mm -hmm. asserted attorney-client government privilege and executive privilege. And after um, the courts ruled on it, the bottom line was that in the face of a grand jury, they can establish that they have a need for the information and there's no alternative source for that information, they overcome privilege um, Claims and so in this case, if uh, there That's is like the reporter shield law, actually, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, in this case, if if the former president asserts executive privilege, and there's a question about whether he has any authority to assert executive privilege, but assuming he has mm -hmm. some authority to assert executive privilege as a former president, then the question is going to be under Lindsay and Nixon and um, Espy is does the grand jury need it, and is there any other way uh, to get it? And if the answer is they need it, but there's no other way to get it, which usually in one-on-one -on -one conversations, there is no alternative way of getting it, then the privilege should fail and the grand jury should get the information. Okay, okay. So th the question is, <laughs> how does this help Nikki Haley? She's announcing, she's throwing her hat, and how does it help Mike Pence and his document case of two? Things that that spring out of what what also happened this week, Mike Pence's uh, document uh, saga, and Nikki Haley. You had mentioned it earlier, John, about Nikki Haley throwing her hat in the ring. So that makes Nikki Haley and the president the only two former president, the only two officially declared candidates. If if she does indeed declare Wednesday, but everyone believes that Republican Ron DeSantis will be uh, tossing his hat in the ring at some point in time. What does this do to uh, Trump's uh, attempt to be reelected in 2024? I don't think it it helps him. I don't think he's going to win reelect. He might win the nomination talking about 2020 and insulting his uh, fellow Republicans, but he's not going to win a general election um, against a serious Democrat, especially uh, Joe Biden that way. Now, for Nikki Haley, uh, this is all, all good for her. Uh, you know, DeSantis going after uh, trans uh, high school athletes uh, with it, you know, with executive orders or actions from his administration. I don't think that is going to play well in New Hampshire, for instance. So um, the Daytona 500 is next week, gentlemen. And, dun, dun, dun. Uh, and sometimes you don't want to be leading uh, at, at certain points in that race with the draft and the high speeds. 
And, you know, she might – she's polling third in some of these wait, early wait states. Wait a minute, John. I, I just want to say we, we're often accused in the press of of uh, calling, you know, like it's a horse race. You have I'm, now moved the presidential doing it. race to a Daytona 500 race. Higher speed. <laughs> I am. Mazel tov. Good, good for you, young man. <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, sometimes you want to – it – it, it makes sense to kind of sit back off the lead in the Daytona 500. You don't want to be in the back where all the, the, the crashes happen, but you can sit third or fifth most of the day, ride comfortably, and you can still one at the end. And so right now, I don't think third place is a bad spot for Haley to be as she, you know, reintroduces herself to some people and introduces herself to a lot of others. And she's got a lot of good experience, you know, she she was governor of the state and she was uh, ambassador to the United Nations. So she's got the domestic policy experience and the foreign policy experience. Um, so it's an interesting entrant into this race. And, you know, if people are turned off by Trump and they don't like DeSantis, they got to go somewhere. So third's not a bad place to be right now. Wow. That's that's interesting. The Republicans who are the most misogynistic of all could be the first <laughs> to get it. Well, the, the Democrats, of course, did nominate Hillary, but she was not elected. So if they I, do you think Nikki Haley could win a, a general election? I I don't know. I want to see what kind of candidate she is first. But I, I just have more and more doubt that Donald Trump can win a general election right now. And I have serious doubts. The same thing about Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah. And we haven't seen him at the Iowa State Fair, you know, talking to somebody's eight-year-old kid and, and trying to relate to folks. So we don't know what kind of candidate DeSantis necessarily will be. He'd um, smack the I, kid and, and curse at the parents, but that's, that's just my and we know We don't know. We don't know. We don't know uh, if Nikki Haley would be a great uh, candidate, but I just think she has an interesting experience. And if this is about suburban college educated women well she has some appeal there i think michael your take you know, I don't, <laughs> he waves I, his hand <laughs> well i mean as a person who who uh is a bicyclist cyclist i agree with john that sitting at the front of the pack ca catching the wind is always a difficult place to be but sitting two or three uh people back is a, a sweet spot so she may be in a very sweet spot, but I don't know enough about her uh, to know whether she's got the sort of personality to to be yeah. attractive to uh, a mass audience. Because again, it's you know I, I feel like the subtext for everything I've said is it's all theater, um, but yes. so much of it is 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 theater, and I haven't seen her speak in to the mass rally sort of setting. I think she's probably very capable in a debate and in a one-on-one -on -one interview. And, you know, because she was a governor, she knows how to campaign. So she may have a lot of those things, but the president is a very different campaign. And, I, you know, we'll have to see whether she really has what it takes. Same with DeSantis. He ran um, against... Uh, Andrew Gillum and almost almost lost the first time around. Should have lost. I think uh, there was a lot of manipulation of people's ability to get ballots that first time around. Um, the second time he won eas easily, but he's he talks to, but you know he preaches to believers, and I haven't yet seen him in a forum that will let me know whether. He has the personality to be what it takes to be president. Final question before we go to our last break, and I'll put it to both of you. If the election were to be held today, who do you think the two nominees would be, from one from the Republican and one for the Democrat, if it's not the obvious two, Biden and Trump? Well, John? does that does that question presuppose that Biden and Trump are both running? No, presupposing guess... that that they're out of the equation. 
who would you who do you think would be the most likely to get the nomination if both of those two are out of the equation in 2024 besides john bennett besides john bennett (laughs) (laughs) you're a good campaign chairman michael let's see john if you're running you got to get him (laughs) well i haven't decided uh yet i'll go with uh, it's an interesting uh concept there um I'll, I'll go with Nikki Haley and Gavin Newsom. Wow. That's, those are interesting choices. Michael. I don't have a clue. Uh, <laughs> every prediction I think that I've made on this show has proven incorrect. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so why would do you, a George why Costanza would it... thing and do the opposite <laughs> day, pick the opposite of what you'd usually pick. Right. <laughs> Why would anyone care what I think? Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know, Brian. I, I mean, I could pick a name, but I, it, if Biden is not running, then I think you're going to have a very large field of potential um, yes. candidates. What I do, what I can answer it in the negative is, I don't think if you have a wide open uh, campaign without Biden, that Kamala Harris is going to be the the Democrats' candidate. I don't think that that's that's going to happen. But I don't know whether any of the sort of younger people who are not yet anywhere in the field, like uh, Chris Murphy from uh, Connecticut, that senator who's a pretty bipartisan guy. Or whether somebody like Michael Bennett, pretty pretty centrist guy who failed miserably last time he ran, whether there's an opportunity for people like that to find um, sort of the I'm going to continue the Biden, you know, sort of protect the working class and be a bipartisan healer. I mean, the person who I like. If I had a choice, perhaps might be um, the whose name is I'm forgetting at the moment, um, Sherrod Brown. Wow, uh, from Ohio. I mean, here's a guy who's been elected in a in a pretty Republican state, Ohio, for the last several elections, and who has a very good um, track record for protecting the middle class against NAFTA and and things like that. So, I mean, he's who I'd like to see um, if it was wide open, but he doesn't seem to have the appetite uh, to run. He could have run last time around, but chose not to. So I'm not sure why he would do it this this time. Well, I'm going to... The Republican side... Yes. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. there's, There's no one out there that that strikes me as an heir apparent to Trump. There are people who want to be like DeSantis and Cruz and Hawley, but I don't know that they have. None of them have the cultural appeal that Donald had. I don't think they have any appeal. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're, now I mean, tell us what about, you really think. <laughs> no, well, I mean, the thing about Trump, like his policies or don't like his policies. He he knows how to be a media personality. Yeah, he does. I don't know. That, I don't know how that those guys do. So I don't know who who it is. I mean, Chris Christie. Can you imagine? That, no. I, I, I think that uh, John picked. A, I mean, Newsom is is an interesting choice. I but to your point, Michael, and and this is how you know I, I look at it. This far into the race, and and I remember the race well, and. In 76, no one really had, you know, on their bingo card, uh, Carter. Jimmy Carter was a an outsider who was not known. And the the Democrats have, in many instances, come from way out of some field to pick their, their candidate, if not someone that we all suspected would be the candidate. So um, Newsom is an interesting case, but the Ohio case that Michael makes is better. And I don't know if the, but I will say that those people on the periphery could be the rising stars in the Democratic Party because they have an appeal to traditional Republicans. And to that name, I will a- add Andy Bashir from Kentucky, 
who mm. has struck a very moderate stance and is well thought of in Democratic uh, circles among congressmen and uh, leaders in the party. So that's a name that I would keep a watch on. And then I would also look at in, on the Republican side, it's Sununu that uh, might actually, now he doesn't have the gravitas or the pull yet, but he's also an interesting character to take a look at. But I still say that there is one ticket that if the Republicans ran, and they will never do it, but if they did, would win, but they couldn't get out of a primary right now, and that would be a Cheney-Kinsinger ticket. That would be would crush the Democrats, and it would win the old-style Republicans. But I don't – and even some of the Trumpers because, at, look, at the end of the day, <laughs> Cheney, she voted with Trump, what, 93% of the time? So she can easily have her Trump credentials. It was only when he decided to – snap the constitution in half and use it as toilet paper that she broke from him. But with all that said, that's, I, I, I can't predict at this point in time, but um, it will be fun the next two years to see where this ride goes to. And with predictions in mind, we're going to take one final break and we come back. We'll give everyone a chance hours before the Super Bowl to see if we change our mind or what we think is going to happen and it will be for all posterity. Everyone will know. And since, Michael, you always you know pick wrong, I'll let you pick first. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. Final thoughts for the day. We're heading into the Super Bowl. Where we sit now, it's about two and a half hours before the opening kickoff. Uh, my team isn't in it, so I don't really give a shit. But this, <laughs> but I do care about one of them. I'll, I'll say that much. Michael, you know, last week you had a prediction, and I know you don't like to go <laughs> with Philly as a New Yorker. But give me your heading into this. You still happy with? With him as the potential winners? Well, last time we spoke about this, we didn't know how the Kansas City quarterback Mahomes' high ankle sprain would impact the game. And I had said then, I think, that if he has to stay in the pocket, the yes. pass defense of Philadelphia is formidable, and that would give an edge to Philadelphia. If, however, his ankle is good enough for him to be the normal scrambling quarterback that he has been in his career, I think they have a slight edge over Philadelphia. So I think it's really a pick em game, and I don't know who to pick. I cannot I – like, I like Hertz, the, the Philadelphia quarterback, um, but I think that the smarter money probably is on Kansas City if Mahone's – is is healthy if not i go back to philadelphia is probably the favorite but i can't support him <laughs> having his cake and eating it too john <laughs> you're, you're shy <laughs> i agree that this feels uh like a pick em game so i think we'll we'll get an entertaining super bowl which is all you can really ask for unless you are a fan of one of the two teams yep i am not <laughs> I, I did last week I did. Uh, I, I picked Kansas City last week. Uh, I listened to a lot of punditry, read some punditry this week. And it seems like the among the experts and, and former uh, players uh, camps, uh, it's like 80% picking Philadelphia. They, yeah. they love that defense. They love that defensive front. They think uh, they think Philly will, will get pressure on Mahomes and and that will test the ankle early and often. 
as he's trying to get out of the pocket and avoid the pressure. But I'm still where I was last week. I Now, Philly's a great team. They've rebuilt this thing at warp speed and put together a great roster, especially that defense. And they're going to run the football. They're going to score yep. points. But I just still think that Mahomes will make fewer mistakes than Jalen Hurts and Kansas City will, will get out of there with a win. But I think it will be close. I think it will be close, too. I'll, I'll close with this. I think it's going to be a one-touchdown-or-less game. And to quote Donald Trump, if you stop it at halftime, <laughs> if you don't have any count, if you don't recount, Philly, Philly no. wins at halftime, and but you're going to have to count all the votes, and it's going to be Kansas City at the end. So you can't, you, you can't just say, just say we won? I'm just saying we won no matter what. Well, I mean, the losing Playboy. team Playboy. the losing team could just pull a Trump. What you yeah. were saying earlier about, about the 2020 vote count, they could just say, well, we had the most rushing yards of any Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. loser, so we yeah. basically won. Won, that's right. We we had the lead at one point in time. That's when it should have <laughs> stopped. That was us. We won. <laughs> so that, I think it'll be close. I think at halftime it's going to be uh, – I, I think uh, – Philly will have the lead at halftime, but at the end of the game, I think it'll be, um, you know, Kansas City. And with you that know, the said, funny, the funny thing is, of course, we've said all this close game, pick them, blah blah blah. It'll you be know a blowout. That, yeah, it's be a blowout. And and Donald Trump and will be on the field. <laughs> and your and your podcast listening audience is going to plummet. <laughs> <laughs> I think the halftime show will be great. I think Rihanna will do a nice job and she'll bring out some uh, some some people she's collaborated with. So I think we'll get some big stars at halftime. I'm looking forward to the commercials, <laughs> except for the so, Jesus commercials. I hear there are going to be a few of those. I don't want to hear those. But So can I, can I do one last thing before we go, which is a shout out? For it. Shout it out, baby. A shout out to Stevie Van Zandt. So Stevie ah. Van Zandt, as you know. Jamie Raskin. Where's that head thing because he was in a car accident and he's got a lot of scarring and that's why he wears that head thing it's not a style thing so much right. as it is uh to cover up some issues that he had from a car accident so jamie raskin congressman jamie raskin is undergoing chemotherapy and um suffering the loss of hair from chemotherapy and stevie van zandt sent him a batch of his head covers uh wishing him well and Jamie uh, tweeted a picture of himself. You should go look at it. Um, I have. It couldn't happen saying, to a nicer guy. I love Jamie. Yeah, I, saying, I've known him 20 years. Yeah, saying, you know, with Stevie's support, you know, I'm looking for a, a full and uh, swift recovery. So shout out to Stevie Van Zandt. Best wishes to Jamie Raskin for a speedy uh, recovery and I think your lead here for this show is Stevie Stevie Van Zandt's a mensch. <laughs> there you go. From your mouth to God's ears. John, any final, anything you'd like to plug before we take off? <laughs> uh, I have no shout outs to speak of, but I will <laughs> plug, I'll give a shout out to the CQ Afternoon Briefing uh, newsletter. Subscribe at CQ.com and look for my weekly column on rollcall.com every friday uh have fun with the super bowl everybody <laughs> the the podcast is just ask the question i am your host brian karam thanks so much for being here and we'll catch you next week so stick around we'll be back <sighs>